welcome to um, 2022. It's going to take um, probably three months to get used to saying that, but um, we are in a new year. I, um, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to read that in just a moment. Um, I'll tell you briefly before, this is something completely different than what we're going to cover today, but I'm going to take a, a, side, a side route and chase a rabbit for about two seconds, if you'll bear with me. Some months ago, there was a young lady in our Wednesday night service. She was here with um, her husband and had only been in church a few times in her life. And, and hearing the, the choir sing, it just it brought all that back to me that she didn't want to leave because the choir was practicing. And she was listening to you guys and gals sing and it made a great impression on her. She had just announced to her husband and to our family that she was expecting their first child. And it was with great anticipation that we were looking forward to the birth of this baby. This baby was born about a month ago in Nashville. Prior to that baby being born, this young lady who had, who had not had a whole lot of emphasis in her life in church except for what she heard the choir sing. Had asked me several questions and had been texting and calling and I would recommended some pastors to listen to that, I, that have influenced me. Some books that she could read, some questions that she could probably maybe find some answers for that she had. Really good, deep hard questions about Christianity. She came to her husband some weeks later and she just simply said, I'm not sure if I'm even doing this right because I don't know how to do this, but I think I just asked Jesus to save me. And we rejoice in that. But Catherine passed away during childbirth just about a month or so ago. Many of you knew my older brother, Mark, who passed away years back. This was his, grandson, his granddaughter. This was my nephew. His wife passed away. I wanted to share that with you, and, and, and I, I got permission from him. As, I, as we were texting before I came up here, I know he's watching. You never know the influence that you're going to have on people that you are never going to meet. And so, as we enter into this text, I, I want you to dive in headlong with me. Not just into 2020, but into this text, into our lives. And I want us to be always known as people who are representing our King. Always representing our King. Matthew chapter 2, 
starting at verse 1. It's fitting that we read these verses here in the middle of Epiphany, the 12 days of Christmas, which began on Christmas morning and run through January the 6th. The dates set aside to recall and remember the visit of the wise men who came from afar to see this newborn baby. Matthew records this scene as this. He says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. They came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them on to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for this child. When you have found him, bring me word so that I may come to and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Before we go forward... I want you and I both, all of us in this room, to biblically understand who exactly these people are. These are Persian stargazers. They're philosophers. They're map makers living in the Far East, what we would call modern-day Iran or Iraq. They were studious people. Think of the guys on the Big Bang Theory. They would be at home with the wise men. They were always showing up to get the scoop for the next big thing. They were the paparazzi of their day. They had heard of the Jewish Messiah. Never let this escape you that the Jews of the Old Testament had spent many years living in this area. These wise men were wise for a reason. They knew their history. They knew the Jewish stories. They knew the Jewish prophets. They knew of a man named Balaam who had worked for an evil king, Balak, who without even meaning to gave prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, of a new king that would be born. Numbers 24, verse 17, Balaam pronounces, I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star will come from Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. They knew to be looking for a star. Imagine if you would one evening, you're there in your home or in your workshop making a map, pouring over your books, and one of your buddies comes running in. 
Hey, did you see it? See what? Come on, you got to check this out. And you run outside and you, you have your maps there in front of you. You have your, your telescopes as best as you can. And you train it on the far west. And there, right above the horizon, is a phenomenon you have never seen before. A bright and brilliant something. And a light bulb goes off in your head. There must be a new king in that area. Break out your maps. What area of the planet is that? And you start looking and you start digging and you start pushing off to the right until you come to the very edge, the very corner of the then known world to a little bitty backwoods country called Judah. You've never been there. You've never explored this place. You, you know that nothing big and major has ever happened here. And yet something tells you by looking at this astronomical phenomenon, something major just took place there. And it was so big and so life-changing that you decided to pack your bags, saddle up the old camel, and go on a journey. We must go explore this. We must go check this thing out. And so you go. What's the capital city of that region? It's Jerusalem. Well, that's a good place to start. Let's go to Jerusalem and see for ourselves if indeed a king has been born. Let me give you a side note. Let me ch chase another rabbit, but it ties into this story. If you read on in the story, if you read on in their conversation with Herod, and he asked them, when did you first see this thing? They tell him, it was about two years ago. Luke records shepherds coming that night and seeing a baby in a manger. Matthew records wise men coming some two years later and finding a baby walking around as a toddler, crawling up in his mother's lap, not in a barn, but in a house. I know. You've got to go work on your nativity set. But it's biblical. They showed up late. While we're at it, I might as well tell you that there's no animals mentioned in the story as well. No cattles are lowing. That's in a song. And I can guarantee you that if you're a young mother who just gave birth, the last thing you want is some boy standing in a corner thinking, this girl needs a drum solo. Prior to meeting this newborn king, they had to first meet with a mad king, a crazy king. If you ever hear the word Herod, just think, this man was off his rocker. He was a power-hungry zealot. He was a puppet with no real authority. Everybody knew at this day and time that the Romans were in charge. Picture Andy going on vacation and leaving, and leaving Barney in charge. All the power, but no authority. At times, people loved Herod because he took most of his money and gave it back to his people in the form of social services. The temple that Jesus worshipped in was known as Herod's temple because he paid to have the thing built. But when he had a bad day, which he had lots of bad days, bad things happened. 
He killed his wife and both of his children because he didn't want them taking his throne. I'm telling you, the man was crazy. Just look what he did to all the children and the, the male children later on in this story in Bethlehem. The man was indeed mad. And now all of a sudden he has men, foreigners, showing up to his capital city asking, Hey, where is the new king? What do you mean the new king? Uh, I'm the king. And so from what we read and we see, he talks to them to try to figure out where this child is so that he can go and probably destroy him like he would destroy anyone else. In fact, verse 3, and I know we've probably talked about this before. Verse 3 says that Herod was troubled and all of the city was troubled with him. You see that word troubled. Some of you are old enough to remember old-timey washing machines. Some of you are old enough to remember when you rang them like this. I'm talking about the old-timey, my old-timey. You raise the lid and there's a white post in the middle. It's called an agitator. It has one job. It stirs things up. That's a Greek word. He was not troubled. He was agitated. He was stirred up. And the whole town was stirred up with him. They knew Oh boy, the king is having a bad day. Maybe we need to quarantine for a while. Maybe we need to get off the streets because heads are about to roll. Despite all of this, despite this crazy man, the magi, the wise men, have so much to show Hillcrest on what we are supposed to do when we are in the presence of our king. I want you to note exactly how they approached this baby, this toddler. The first thing to note is that they fully respected him. The Bible tells us they brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now I know in every Christmas pageant you've ever seen or ever been a part of, you wear your dad's bathrobe with a Burger King, Burger King crown on your head. There's always three of you, right? And that's why, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We know they travel with an entourage. There may have been 19 kings, 19 wise men. We don't know. We just know that that's the gifts they brought, and they were costly. Just think of this. If you're Joseph, and God is telling you, take this baby, take its mother, and go to Egypt and stay there in a foreign country. You do not know have the money. You don't know the language. You can't get a job. You don't have a visa. How are you supposed to survive? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh cost a lot. Thank you, God, for providing for us. Pretty thoughtful, isn't it? These men, they've never met this baby. They've never been in the same room with his parents. They are not Christians. They are not Christ followers. And yet they respect him enough to bring him a tribute. This is what you do for a newborn king. Let me ask you this question. Didn't it seem like every month Elizabeth over in England is having a new grandbaby? It's like all her kids are deciding to have children at the exact same time, which is perfectly fine. But I doubt anybody in this room, the last time Kate had a baby called Target, is she registered with you? And then you call American Airlines. How much is a red line flight over to London? You didn't go to London. You didn't take her any Tupperware. Did you? Why? Cute kid. But we handled that in 1776. She ain't my queen. I have no respect like that for them. Right? It's great that they have children, but I'm not taking them anything. 
They don't rule over me. I don't hold them in that esteem. Yet these guys did that. I'm holding you so highly that I'm bringing you something as a tribute. So they respected this child without ever knowing him, of never meeting him. And if, again, if you read deeper in the story, not just this, this child, but this aura around him, they, they found a reason to obey him. Not just to respect him, but to obey this power that was emitting from him. They came face to face with this mad king, Herod. And he gave them a direct order. Go to Bethlehem, find this child, come back to me so that I can go see him as well. But in verse 12, we see that they ignored him. Why? Because they were scared of him? No. Because they had to get back home for their wives? No. Verse 12 says they were warned in a dream. Do not go back to Herod. Must have been some dream. They had multiple wise men. At least three, possibly more. They had the exact same dream. They wake up the next morning. They're hurriedly packing their bags. They're hurriedly pouring the coffee. Man, we got to make time. We've got to get on the road. We are not going back to Jerusalem. I agree. Because I had a dream last night. You had a dream last night? I had a dream last night. Don't go back to that guy. That's crazy. I had the same dream. Well, I, ha- I had the same dream. You have the same? I had the That's absolutely mind-blowing to think that an entire group of people had the exact same dream. And they all agreed to obey. There was not... A voice of dissension. Guys, we, we really need to go tell him now. I mean, he's the king. He gave us an order. We probably need to obey him. No, 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 no. We need to obey whatever is behind this child. We need to follow with a thousand percent obedience. Whatever put that thing in the sky, whatever led us to this child, this, the one that we just presented these gifts, that's... That's the real power. That's the real king. And so they go home a different way. As I told my Sunday school class this morning, that makes no sense. From Genesis to Revelation, can you ever find God telling anybody to do anything that simply made sense? God rarely, if ever, never makes sense. That is his method of operation. To human logic... God's commands never are, never are logical, but they're always from God. And when they come to fruition, they always point to God, point to his power, point to his mercy, point to his grace, point to the fact that he knows best. That's the king we have. That's the king they discovered. They respected him. They ended up obeying him. Note this, you just got to know that when they got back home, they learned to represent their king. Just think, weeks prior to this happening, you being one of those wise men, going into your wife, your children, and you're packing your bags, sweetheart, where are you going? I'm going over to Judea, to Jerusalem. Why would anybody go over there? No, 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 they're just something's happening over there. I got to go explore it. What's happening? I don't know. I'm just going. Would that make sense? They left one way, but the Bible says that they returned a different way. 
they returned a different route. And that is so telling to their story. They've never met this child, but something tells them in a dream. And imagine, think about it, all these dreams that are happening in this scene. Joseph has a dream. Mary gets an angel's visit. These wise men have a dream. God's getting their attention, and he is somehow metaphysically and existentially changing them from within. I'm not the same as I was when I left. I have met a true king. What other king, what other earthly king draws this response from people? None that I've ever heard of. Centuries prior to Bethlehem, if you know your Old Testament story, you know the pharaohs of Egypt demanded that they be worshipped as gods. But the true God through Moses proved them to be wrong. These wise men, they were from Persia. They were used to their kings acting like gods. Xerxes I claimed to be a god and even painted himself in solid gold. Painted his body solid gold and claimed to be able to conquer the world until 300 Spartans proved him to be all too human. In the 900s, there was an English king named Canute. And his people wanted to worship him as a god. And he kept telling them, I'm a human, I'm not God. No, we have to worship you. We have to treat you godlike. No, I'm not a, I'm not a god, I'm just a human. To the point where he took his throne and set it beside the Thames River. He said, if I'm a god, I'm, I'm going I'm to command the river to stop flowing. Of course, it didn't. All that to prove that, no, I, I'm not a god. At the close of World War II, the Japanese people were shocked beyond measure when they listened on radio as their emperor, Emperor Hirohito, who at that point they thought was a god because they'd never seen him, never heard of him, never heard from him. And the first thing he tells them is, we must surrender to the Americans. It shocked them. We thought that you were indeed a God. Each of these leaders, countless others, claimed to have powers that they did not have, lived with privilege that they did not deserve, and yet at the end of their life, each and every one of them died. They're not gods. They never have been gods. They never will be gods. And yet, this baby who was born at the furthest corner of the then known world in a city that was only known for the bread that it made amongst nasty shepherds. He had no refinery, no crown, no jewels. Could it be that the only time, or at least for the first time in recorded history that the true king of all kings has been born. Think of what these magi ask King Herod in verse 2. Just, just I cannot get past this question in verse 2. They show up. They meet people in Jerusalem. They speak to the king himself. And what do they ask? Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. Correct me if I'm wrong, but royal babies are normally born princesses or princes. They're not born kings and queens, right? Not Jesus. He was, he was king from day one. He was king from before day one. 
Where is he who is going to skip being a prince? He is born king. Where is he so that we can worship him? Folks, there's never been a day in all history where Jesus did not rule, where Jesus was not king. Many misconceptions have, have been spread about this baby. But certain things are true because they're from the Bible. And you can see it from Jesus' life. This baby did not come looking for power. He came in power. He did not come to conquer. He came to claim what was already his. He did not come to be served, but to serve others. And as I told someone earlier this week prior to Christmas, because of this birth, late night tornado scares, cancer, COVID, acne, armed robberies, ICU waiting rooms, traffic tickets, Alzheimer's, alcoholism, traffic in Atlanta, Georgia, algebra, opiate abuse, cystic fibrosis, the gospel, the prosperity gospel, pornography, triglycerides, beets, high ankle sprains, all of those things that Genesis 3 has given us have their days numbered. We have a king that has come to fix us. I thought I would get a bigger amen. I will leave disappointed. Just know this. This sweet, mild, precious baby in this manger. He came to pick a fight. He came to pick a fight for what Genesis 3 has done to us. As a pastor in San Diego, California for years, his name was S.M. Lockridge. I would suggest you go YouTube, Pastor Lockridge. He said of this baby, the Pharisees could not stand him, yet they discovered they could not stop him either. Pilate could find no fault in him, yet he had to punish him. The cross mistakenly thought it had killed him, yet a brand new tomb was unable to hold him. You cannot impeach Jesus, and Jesus will never resign. That's what kings do not do. Hillcrest, we have a king. You have a king over you. Learn today at the beginning of 2022 from these magi, again, how we are to approach him. Approach him with respect. Repro approach him with respect. Respect is best displayed when authority is not even present. Respect for authority means you're going down the four-lane highway looking at the median, thinking, hey, there's no cop, but I'm still going to obey the speed limit. That's respect. Do you hold Jesus dearly? Do you give Jesus priority over everything that you are? If your life has a mission statement, how much of that mission statement involves what is known as a high Christology, a high view of Christ above everything else? This is a great time to have this conversation here the first Sunday in January. Time to bend your schedule and the schedule of your family 
to be present and accounted for here each and every time an opportunity arises to be with your faith family. For 2022, what would it take for you and yours to be known as those that give your time and your energy and your service first and foremost to King Jesus? Again, these, these magi, they got really close to Jesus and brought him gifts and did not even know who he was. You know better. You know who he is. And yet we feast at tables like busyness, complacency, laziness, and distractions. When you find yourself feasting at such tables, please remember what Jesus, your king, does to such tables. He turns them over. He flips them. Respect him. Obey him. It seems easy enough. It seems easy enough if you know your king that you will respect him. But if you're going to know him and respect him, you must do what he says. Our king has never wasted a word on us. And as I've often said, his words are never just the final say. They are the best thing said to us. Genesis chapter 1 records our first parents getting some very simple commands. Be fruitful and follow. That's it. Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and be God followers. That's all you have to do. Make babies and follow me. How'd that end up? Just five chapters later, we're told that God is sorry that he even made humans. And he wants to destroy us with a flood. What happened? Disobedience happened. Rank, foul, sinful disobedience. They did not do what was commanded, but we can't hate them. Why? Because this room is full of people who are really, really good at ignoring their king's commands. And you're looking at the chief of ignoring what my king has told me to do. Just as this is a perfect time to get your schedule in line with your church schedule, it's a great time to get your heart in line with what your king expects from you. In other words, you need to get to know your Bible. You need to spend time in God's word privately, but also in a small group setting. God is not in the business of saving long rangers. He saves us as people, as people groups. You need to be in Sunday school. You need to be in a small group. You need to be gathered around God's word with other believers to be fed, to be exposed to this truth, to hold each other accountable. Don't worry if you slip up and fail. The king we have is not an old man with a long white beard that's just waiting to hit you in the forehead with a lightning bolt when you slip up. You're going to slip up. The king we have gives us words that lead to peace. Words that lead to eternity. I would suggest you go out here in the foyer or get online and you get one of our reading plans. And you dive into a daily reading plan. It's you, again, get involved with a small group and you get to studying so that you will know exactly what is expected of you. Obey him. Respect him. And if you've been around me for over eight minutes of my life, you've heard me say this before. 
represents your king. Meaning that I want my life to be lived as someone that does, that someone that might not even know me. They may just see me in passing. It may be a person standing in a very, 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 very long line at Disney World that does not know who I am. I want that person just to see me, to hear my conversations, to see how I'm dressed, to see how I'm treating my family, my wife and my children. And I want them to know something is different about that guy. I don't know quite what it is, but he's not normal. I want to represent my king in everything that I say, in everything that I do, in all of my dealings. Now, do I do that perfectly? No. Ask my wife and children. I've got a long, long way to go. But I want to live to please the one that saved me, and I cannot do that. You cannot do that if I continue to live with me sitting on the throne of my heart. That's not where I belong. These magi, we are told, again in verse 12 of chapter 2, they have this dream, and they're shaken by it. They, they know that they cannot listen to Herod. They have to listen to this, this new thing that's popped up in their life. This is my hope and my challenge and my prayer for each and every one of us, including me today. The Bible says, that these gentlemen, upon meeting Jesus, they went home differently. They went home another route. They went home a different way. What would it look like for you, Dad, if you went home differently? Mom, if you get in the car with those children right now in our parking lot and they start to notice, something's different about Mom. Something's not the same. All of a sudden, mom and dad have got things going on. Things are right at home. This is not the home that I left from this morning. Things are now different. Our Sundays are different now for some reason. My Monday afternoon is different. My Wednesday morning is different. What we watch on TV is different. How I spend my time is different. Everything about my life is different. That can and only happen when you come face to face with the king we have. So your challenge is simple. Whatever, whatever you brought into this room that is keeping you from respecting and obeying and representing your king. It ultimately needs to be dealt with, and you can't deal with it. Only he can. So please, please leave that mess here and go home differently. And as Don said, don't, don't make this a 30-day something that you're going to fail. Give up now. Just eat the cake. You're, you're not going to make it. But you can do this. Get in God's word. Get in God's house and represent your king. Not just in January, but every day for the rest of your life. Don, please come. We are going to sing. 
And as we sing, I, I simply want you to take that challenge to heart as, as best as I could get it out, as scattered as it might have seemed coming from my vocal cords. Take that challenge to heart to go home differently, for your family to go home changed. Let me pray. And as I pray, you stand. And as I finish praying, let Don lead us as we sing.